I have been sitting and listening to other people for the better part of the last three days. I had a, a board meeting in Richmond that I was in all day on Monday and then drove to Wake Forest for the, the Pillar Network, which we're a part of, has an annual conference in Wake Forest. And I was there with some other pillar past, local Pillar pastors and just drove back in this afternoon. So I've, I've been sitting and listening to other people for quite a while, so I'm ready to get to talk for a little bit. <laughs> Imagine that. It's my turn. That's right. They didn't ask me to preach or anything, you know. A pretty good friend of mine did preach. He preached this morning for the Pillar Conference. He's a pastor in Georgia. Did an outstanding job. It was a really, really good sermon. Um, all right. So I want you to start. We're going to be talking today about, we only have one of these left next week. I'll talk about that at the end in just a minute, but uh, today we're talking about the purpose of the church, and I want us to start off, I thought maybe this would be a good little exercise, because we've already talked about the mission of the church clear, several weeks ago, clearly defined in, in Matthew 28, is to make disciples that Jesus has told his church that until the end of the age, we are to do, or to be about the business of proclaiming the gospel to the nations, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That that's what the church does. But when we think about the purpose of the church, uh, it's a little more broad than that. We say it here, reach up, reach in, reach out. We're going to use that terminology in the book that you, if you read the chapter. Um, I forget exactly the terminology that Dever uses you, hopefully it seemed familiar to you if you read it, because it's basically the same thing. Um, in uh, other books, it's, it's, I'm going to use some different phraseology here. Ministry to God, ministry to one another, ministry to the world, things like that. This is pretty well accepted in Protestant life. But I just want you at your tables for a minute to talk. So if our mission, clearly defined in Matthew 28, make disciples, how do the varied ministries of our church, which are roughly categorized in reach up, reach in, reach out, ministry to God, ministry to the other, ministry to one another, ministry to the world, however it is Dever does. I'm sorry, I, I can't remember. Um, that aren't categorized as discipleship. So how is worship and prayer, how is fellowship, how is evangelism, how, how is ministry, mercy kind of things? How are those still helpful? How do those still help us to fulfill the mission? So I just want you at your tables to think about that for a minute together, that how do ministries that seem as if they aren't discipleship still help the church to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us to make disciples? So take a couple of minutes at your tables, talk about that, and I will bring us back together in a moment. Ready, go. All right. So... One of the reasons I thought this was a, a fun little exercise uh, is it's because it's the kind of uh, mental exercise I get to put people through every time I teach Connect class. Because when I teach Connect class, uh, I, always, I don't always teach Connect class one, but when I teach Connect class, I teach Connect class one. Does that make sense? I'm not the only teacher of Connect class one, but I'm one of them, and when I do... I start with mission and vision before we talk about our core beliefs and core values. 
And I always introduce our mission, as you've heard me say a million times, if you've been here long enough for me to say it, that our mission is to make disciples that make disciples. That's what we do as a church. But then we seek to accomplish that according to our vision, which is purpose, to um, glorify God and exalt Jesus by reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. And then when you get to reaching in, one of the words that we say is we reach in through discipleship. And so it requires a little bit of an explanation for folks a lot of times because people will, you can start seeing them think a little bit, maybe like you were doing at your tables just now. You start seeing people think a little bit of, but wait, I thought you said the mission, like the whole mission of the church is to make disciples, but only one of these six things is called discipleship. Well, no, all of these things makes disciples. One part of reaching in is our specific discipleship effort. Now, some of this is just semantics. Some of it's just the problem with the English language is the mission is make disciples. Discipleship is the thing that we do. It's the best way that we can describe the thing that we do while those things are still a little bit different. Disciple making is helping people be like Jesus. And we do that through every purpose of the church. So we'll see that as we walk through these things, that even worship is disciple-making. Prayer is disciple-making. Fellowship is disciple-making. Evangelism, these things are disciple-making. But then there's one specific aspect of the church's purpose that is intentional. So let's think about it like that, that, that one aspect is intentional discipleship. It's, it's kind of the structural element of disciple-making where we're teaching one another either in an organized or a more organic way. Um, but I, we don't want to think of the mission. That's why I want to start like this. We don't want to think of the mission of the church, make disciples, as one component of the purpose of the church. It's not. The church is seeking to make disciples as we do the things that, that are listed um, here and that these things are derived in Scripture. And if you've never been in a church that clearly stated its purpose before. Maybe you showed up here and you heard reach up, wrench in, and reach out. You thought, that sounds really novel. Never heard that before. Um, well, it's not unique to us. There are other churches that probably even use reach up, reach in, reach out, but there are a lot of churches that use very similar phraseology. They may say it different. My last church called it glorify, grow, and go. Guess what? That's reach up, reach in, and reach out just with G's instead of R's, okay? <laughs> it's the same exact thing. It really is. And the Protestant church, for a really long time, has really thought through by looking at the Scriptures and seeing what the New Testament church did and what Jesus instructed his disciples to do and to see what the apostles instructed the church to do, We've, we've really settled on these three aspects, these three categories, reach up, reach in, reach out, glorify, grow, go, ministry to God, ministry to the body, ministry to the world, however we want to think about it, wherever we want to phrase it, the terminology we want to use isn't as important as what we're saying is there's specifically prescribed things that the church does. And we ought to do those things. And, and it's why we think, as a congregation, it's so important for us that we put it everywhere. I say that when I teach Connect Class. 
Reach up, reach in, reach out is so important for us. It's, it's so biblical and should, should so influence the things that we do on a regular basis here that we write it literally on everything. It's on every wall. It's on the artwork. It's, it's, in, it's in like three different places just in the connect room alone because it keeps us centered, not on some good idea that the elders of our church had, you know, eight years ago. It keeps us centered on what the Bible says a church is supposed to do. Now, there's not one place that you can go, although we're going to go to one place that you see a lot of them. Um, in Acts chapter 4 is one of the places you see a lot of them. Uh, but there's not one place you can go that just says, these are the purposes of the church. Remember what we're doing. Go back to week one. We're doing systematic theology, meaning we're asking a question, and then we're seeking to see how the whole Bible helps us to answer that question. So that's what we're going to do. Now, it's all going to be in the New Testament. A lot of this, ecclesiology, the study of the church, has been in the New Testament. So let's just take these in, in order. We'll do the first two. We'll take a short break. We'll take another one. And then we're going to talk at the end about what happens when we, when we, if we were to get out of balance, which is always an issue within the church. The church is always having to course correct. And we'll talk about why that is uh, when, when we get to the end. Lord willing, I'm going to have time. All right? So let's talk first about reaching up. This is our, when I say our here in these main points, I'm talking about the the church, the congregation, hopefully by week seven, um, you're, you're understanding that, that terminology. We're not talking about a building. We're not talking about an organization. We're talking about the assembled people of God in a local church, right? I heard it said this week, and this was pretty good, that, that the local church is, is like an embassy, right? And, and every local church is its own embassy of the kingdom of God, right? And this is the people that have chosen to be a part of this embassy, this local body. So when I say our, that's what I'm talking about. Us, the, the members of Nansman River Baptist Church, we do three things. First, reach up, and each one of those into, into two parts. We're going to see the biblical arguments for all, really all six of these broken into, broken into these parts. So it starts with our ministry to God, and we do this in two ways. We worship and we pray. So let's just take them in that order. It's the order that we see them in our, uh, in our vision statement to glorify God and exalt Jesus by reaching up through worship and prayer. Reaching up through worship isn't just singing, although it is definitely singing. We are commanded in Scripture to sing, and we're going to see that, but it is, it's more than that. Reaching up through worship and prayer includes singing, but it includes other things like scripture reading, public prayer, when we're going to talk about prayer in a minute, but I'm just thinking about worship, and the public proclamation of the gospel through the word of Christ. In, uh, in the book that you were, if you did the reading on page 70, you read a quote from um, a Presbyterian pastor, we won't hold that against him, uh, named Ligon Duncan. And uh, if, if you're going to read a Presbyterian brother, uh, Ligon's top three, okay? I mean, he's, he's, he's really good. This is probably the most famous Ligon Duncan quote. I was going to quote him in this, and then I saw that it was in the book, and I was like, oh, they've already read it. But Ligon Duncan famously, probably his most famous quote, is that the church should read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. But that's what the church should do when it gathers. He's talking, he's talking about worship. He's talking about the gathered worship of 
the congregation. When the church gathers, we should read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Now, when he says see the Bible, he's talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's, that's the visual display of, of the Bible. So it's not just talking about like seeing the, the Bible that you, that you have. But that these should be components of the gathered worship. Then when we're thinking about reaching up together through worship, our ministry to God, and we do that corporately on Sunday mornings when we gather on the Lord's Day as the people of God that are Nansman River Baptist Church, we do these things. We read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Well, somebody read Colossians 3, verses are put on the board. Colossians 3, verse 16 for us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yeah. Now, what Paul is saying in Colossians 3.16 is what Ligon Duncan is saying when he says, read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. That, that Paul is prescribing for the church when we gather what we are supposed to do. Okay? We're supposed to proclaim the word to each other, we're teaching the word, admonishing one another in the word, and we sing the word to one another. This is known as, the, the he writes about this, it may have been a little confusing to you, I just want to clarify, because he used a term that may have been foreign to you, the regulative principle. And you may have read that little section in there. I've had conversations even recently with people in our church who've run across that phrase and thought, I've never heard that before, what, what does that mean? The regulative principle is a, is a uh, principle within Protestant denominations. It's existed since the Reformation. So we're talking about, we're going back 500 years here. That says what, what should be done, not in all activities of the church, but in the gathered body of the church, in Sunday morning worship, is regulated by what was done in Scripture. And what do we see the church do in Scripture? We see them we see them reading the Bible together. We see them preaching the Bible. We see them praying the Bible. We see them singing the Bible. And they're doing the Lord's Supper and baptism. That's what we see the church do. And so that's what we should do. That, that we should, 2,000 years later, <laughs> in a completely different culture, in a completely different context, in a completely different language, we are doing the same thing that the, that the early church did when they gathered on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. They got together and they, they did these things. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. In verse 16. And then verse 19, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So Paul calls the church, not only in Colossians 3, to admonish one another with the word and sing the word to one another, but in Ephesians 5, he, he draws our attention to the fact that, that culture outside of the church is, is evil, is hostile to the message of the gospel. And one of, this isn't the only thing he says to do, it's, it's why we skip verses 17 and 18, because for our purposes, verse 19 is what speaks to this. So one of the things that we do is we sing... Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Part of what part of that often gets missed in Ephesians 5:19 is we say, oh yeah, we're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord. That makes a lot of sense in our mind, but we miss the very first clause that I think is very important to our understanding of what Paul's saying. 
He says, addressing one another in this way. So if you ask the question, how is worship, particularly when we're thinking about singing, because when I say worship, you think singing, I think singing, okay? Even though we've already established that worship is beyond that. It's prayer, it's, it's preaching, it, it's these things that we do that the New Testament does. But when we think worship, we think, often think singing. You say, how is singing contributing to the mission of disciple-making? Well, it contributes to the mission of disciple-making because we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as we sing and make melody to the Lord. So, when we think about worship within the church, specifically singing within the church, but scripture reading, prayer, corporate prayer, uh, corporate proclamation through the sermon, we're doing that together intentionally. It's why the gathered body is, it's one of the reasons why the gathered body is so important. Because yes, you are singing to the Lord. But it is as important that you're singing to the Lord, that you're singing with other people who are also singing to the Lord, and that you can hear them singing to the Lord, and that they can hear you singing to the Lord, Making a joyful noise. Come sit by me sometimes. I am not a very good singer. I hit the right notes most of the time. It still doesn't sound great. Even people that can sing the right notes still don't always sound great. I don't have a great singing voice. Occasionally, I hit the wrong note. Sometimes I hit a really wrong note. And my children laugh at me. And it's okay. Because we sing. It's one of the reasons that I sit up. I don't only sit up front in our services. I had this conversation with somebody else just Sunday. We were talking about it Sunday. And you were saying, because her son was making her sit up front. And at first she didn't like it, right? And I, what did I say? I said, I love sitting up front. Why? Because I can hear people sing. Because so I can, yeah. Would you say that uh, if one doesn't sing out loud, that they're, they're in sin? I w- so, so in sin is a, is a term that I would be careful with, but I would say we are certainly failing to be as obedient as we can be. I would encourage everyone in the church, sing. And I would encourage everyone in the church to sing loudly. When Pastor Brian and I are considering new songs, and we're actually considering several new songs just now, we introduced one uh, two weeks ago, we're going to sing it again this Sunday. Um, I look for two things in music. Okay, not what is my preference in music. I look for two things in music. Whether the song is 500 years old or five minutes old. Is it doctrinally sound? Meaning, are we singing the Bible? And number two, can the people sing it to each other? Is it congregational? Is it, I like songs that are easy to sing, that you understand the melody, and that you can hear people. That's what I, I, I tell our folks all the time. It's like, I don't care what the song sounds like. I care what's in it. And I care that our people will sing it because we sing these things to each other. So we, we reach up, we minister to God, not only in singing, but singing is a big part of it. As we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, the Bible becomes saturated in our, in our worship, in our reaching up through worship, our ministry to God. Number two, reaching up through prayer. Prayers and a, Prayer, again, we've already seen that we're praying in corporate worship, we're praying the Bible, right? So we've combined scripture reading and prayer 
even in a more intentional way over the last couple of months with our elder prayer, noticed us doing that. We're trying to be a little more intentional with some of those things, aligning what they're reading with what they're praying about. It, this is just us continuing to try to address these things in our corporate gathering. But the prayer of the church goes beyond just the corporate gathering. Because the ministry of the church goes beyond just the corporate gathering. The corporate gathering is essential. It's important. You can't have a church without a corporate gathering. Let me say that again. You can't have a church without a corporate gathering. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You, you have to assemble, but then sometimes you break apart into smaller groups. You break apart into, we call them small groups. That's real original, right? But you, you, you break apart into ministries. You do what we're doing right here. And we, we, at times, sometimes at length, pray together. Sometimes we have prayer services that aren't necessarily the Sunday morning corporate gathering. We'll do one in, next month. We're on Wednesday nights. We'll gather to pray together. Tomorrow night in our elder meeting, we're going to talk about another opportunity for us to gather and pray. Like This is something we're looking at. How is our church gathering and praying? Because prayer is essential to what the church does. And let me connect it to something that we've talked about this whole semester. It's essential to the church's authority. Remember, the church holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? Matthew 16, Matthew 18. And, and what does Jesus say in Matthew 18, which we considered at length last week when we talked about church discipline? We, we talked about how Jesus was outlining the discipline of really guarding the back door of the church, when we're supposed to say, yes, you're with us, or no, you're no longer with us because you're unwilling to repent of your sin. And in that same breath, I mean, in that same exact teaching in Matthew chapter 18, at the end of that section, Jesus says, again, I say to you, so he's told them this before because he's already talked to them about their authority and the keys to the kingdom. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So prayer, so connected to the, exor the, the exercising of authority of the local church is prayer before God that we are praying together. Not just corporately where we're praying the Bible and praying for, for our corporate gathering, but where we're actually praying for the ministry of our church. That we're pre corporate prayer, and not when I say corporate, I don't only mean the, the Sunday morning gathering, but when two or three of us, when you're at your table, when you're in your small group, when you're in a ministry setting and you're praying together, we're, we're doing so in an effort to further the mission. Now, here's, let me ask you a question. Don't answer me. I just to think about it. How much of your prayer at church is actually focused on furthering the mission? Much of our prayer, we're, we're, we've been working on this for a long time. We're going to keep working on it. It's the reason we have a bi-monthly prayer guide, by the way. So much of our prayer is focused on good things to pray for, fine things to It's always fine to pray for the things. It, you, I don't know that there's anything that's not okay to pray for. You don't want to pray for, you know, like to be able to sin or something like that. We could probably think of things. But, like, any need that arises in somebody's life is a good thing to pray for. But when we're praying together, we need to recognize that Jesus connected our, our, the authority that we have, our mission, make disciples, with our prayer lives. Let's look at this in Acts chapter 4. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 4 if you just want to put something there, maybe to hold your place. I'm going to start reading verse 23. Um, when they were released, so when they were released is uh, Peter and John. Peter and John heals, heals a guy, 
And uh, man, the religious, the same people that killed Jesus were really not happy that they had done it. And they bring them in and they're like, stop preaching about Jesus. And they're like, ah, we're going to keep preaching about Jesus anyway. And you get to verse 23, and they release them. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And uh, when they had heard it, they lifted their voice together to God. They're praying saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rules were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're praying what? The Bible, right? For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servants, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Now watch what they do. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we see a very early gathered church that prays, and what do they do? They pray the Bible, and they pray for the mission. And then, when they're done praying, <laughs> they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They continue to carry out the mission. This is what the, the church should, our, our purpose in prayer should be to pray for the mission that God has set before us. And so I would I, I plead with you. I'm going to do this every quarter. I'm going to teach this four times. Plead with you, as I have pled with our small group leaders, and I'm, we're seeing it more now. Pray for the mission of our church. Pray for the ministries of our church. Get the, get the prayer guide and use it. It's online. There's printed copies of them. Use it. I, I recognize it's several pages. Just It's there for two months. Make a habit of any time, not only in your personal prayer, your family's prayer, but in any time you're gathered with people from our church, pray these things. Because it's, it's one of the reasons that we exist as a church. One of our purposes is to minister to God by saying what God has said and by asking God to help us do what God has tasked us to do. So let's reach up. Number two, reach in. Our ministry to the body. Reaching in through discipleship. So we'll break these up. And again, discipleship here, we're thinking a little more narrow because disciple making is far more broad. Disciple making includes all of these things. We're always making disciples, right? I heard this, this table talking about is everything, every time we get together, is it really disciple-making? I think Barry said something about, well, what if we get together and, and tell jokes? I would say if we get together and tell jokes, it's still disciple-making. And here's why. Because if somebody tells an inappropriate joke, we would correct them, <laughs> right? And we would say, disciples don't think like that. Disciples, Jesus doesn't want us to talk like that. Jesus doesn't want us to think like that, right? Or we're telling appropriate jokes, and we're experiencing joy together. And being joyful together is disciple-making. Right? These, are, these are big picture disciple-making. We make disciples of lost people. We make disciples of stray sheep. We make disciples of faithful sheep. 
It's disciple-making. This is more narrow. This is that we are intentionally discipling. This is kind of the structure of teaching the word to one another. And no believer should be left behind in this. Somebody read Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 for us. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Yeah, so, so Paul's going to give a, a mission statement for reaching in through discipleship. That every, and when he says man there, this is, a, this is an inclusive term. So this is all of us. This is everyone in Christ. Paul's desire through his ministry was to present everyone in Christ, mature in Christ. So we preach Jesus to every man to ensure that every man becomes like Jesus. This is the goal of discipleship as we minister internally. So th- we got to think about these purposes really as being a three-dimensional graph, right? There's an x-axis, a y-axis, a z-axis. It's up, in, out, and and this is this is how we're this is how we're focusing on each other. That that we're teaching each other, and we're doing this again through worship, pro- proclaimed word. I am discipling you in the word on Sunday mornings. Your small group leaders and your small groups together are discipling one another. We and equip are discipling each other. Your families are discipling each other. Your friendships are discipling. This is, this is what, what we're doing. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to kind of start with the, the people that are, that are in charge of, of the disciple-making system within the church. And he's going to kind of work out from there, okay? So listen to this. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. Shepherds there is, is the one na- time that noun is pastor. That's pastors. Pastors, teachers. It's a combo word that pastors teach. It's what they do. And here's why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, what's the work of ministry? Disciple making, right? So to equip you, the saints, us, the body of Christ for the work of ministry, for disciple making. Then what's the the result? For building up the body of Christ. How long do we do this? Until we all, every one of us, not just a select few, all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro, uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's why we call this equipped. Well, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You, you see this, this process. It's, it's, it's this messy like intricate, like you, you can't really diagram this thing. It begins with pastor teachers equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We do that through the word of Christ. We equip the saints for the work of ministry in the gospel so that the saints then do these things together. And we have all of these varied kind of ways that we do it structurally. Some of it is intentional Small groups, preaching, equip, right? Some of it's organic. It's just people getting together. Sometimes people will call and be like, I want to have a Bible study. 
with some people in the church. Is that okay? And I'm like, you don't need my permission to do that. <laughs> what? And then other times, somebody will tell me about the Bible study there, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You guys started to get together. And they're like, no, we've been doing this for three years. Awesome. I'm like, it's fine. It's actually not, it's more than fine. It's good. Because this is what the church does for all of us so that we all grow in our understanding, so that we're all equipped, so that we're all working properly. This is the whole body in the church. This is what reaching in through discipleship looks like. But we don't only reach in intentionally to teach each other. We also fellowship with each other. This goes back to the very earliest days of, of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, Luke says, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, discipleship, and the fellowship, to the breaking bread and the prayers. All right? So this is like instantly. This is what they're doing after Pentecost, is they're devoting themselves to reaching in by discipleship, the apostles' teaching, and Fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, that, that they are doing this together. Now, you fast forward probably just a couple of months, maybe not even that long, and you get back to Ephesians 4, where, or, sorry, back to Acts uh, 4, where we were in verse 32. Now, so this is, this is after uh, Peter and John have been released. This is after they've, they've worshiped, after they've prayed, right after they've done that. Now what they're doing. So they're, they're continuing to speak the word of God. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, this is the fellowship of believers. There is more to church than just the organized, gathered body on a Sunday morning. Now remember, you can't have church without the assembled body, but there's more to it. There's this devotion of fellowship. Fellowship has always been this wonky word for me. I don't know if you've felt that. I've just always kind of felt, I always felt like fellowship was just kind of this churchy word that people use sometimes. It's like nobody else really says that. And then as I've kind of grown in my understanding of it, I know why nobody else says that because nobody else in the world has relationships like we're supposed to have relationships. Nobody else in the world is invested in the, in, in the kinds of relationships that we have with people that, that we're different than. We're united in the gospel. And that's what we see here. I mean, early, Acts 4. They're united in the gospel. Great grace was upon them all. So do you see how even fellowship is disciple-making? Fellowship is accomplishing the mission? We're the only ones with fellowship halls. We are. Well, I mean, there, there, are, there are other groups that have meeting halls, you know, they're the, the you know, VFW, the, the Shriners. These people have meetings, but it's not like, Sometimes the church has patterned themselves after those things, too. We're not a social club, but we are very social. I wonder, are we as social as the New Testament Christians are? Because, I mean, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing, like, this great dedication to fellowship. So much so that when Peter, again, Peter leading in Acts 4, 
And then we get to Peter writing later to people who were nowhere near what happened in Acts 4. We're a generation later and a continent removed. Okay? And Peter writes, somebody have Acts 4 verses 8 and 9? They can read for it. Go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah. Notice the connection here. Love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Because when you get this kind of close with people, guess what's going to happen? They're going to rub you the wrong way. <laughs> it's, what, it's what people do. right? And none of us are perfect. We're all, we, we all have failures. And I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm going to get in your life and I'm going to fail. You're going to get in my life. You're going you're gonna to fail. Like that's, that's just what we're going to do. And so he says, we, we fellowship together. We create this love for one another because when we sin, it, we're going to forgive each other. We're going to be patient with each other. We're going to be kind to one another. We're going to correct one another. Then he ties to that. Be sure to show hospitality. So I wonder, how often do you open your home to people from our church? I would take that a step further and say open up our homes to people that aren't necessarily like us. Meaning, it's... The, the world socializes with people that are like-minded and that have things that are in common. Mm -hmm. That's why we value a multi-generational sure. community, multi-ethnicity, multi-a lot of things, because that's the extraordinary aspect mm -hmm. of, of a church and, and how what the world sees is different. Yeah. Is, are we willing to have fellowship with someone that's not necessarily like us? Yeah, that's not in your same generation yeah. that's not in your same socioeconomic status right yeah mentoree mm -hmm. aspect of it for sure yeah like how willing are we to practice that level of hospitality people that will drain you <laughs> people that pe people that that it's going to take some work for you to figure out what you're going to talk about right because that's that's a great point like the fellowship of the church isn't just me hanging out with the three closest people that I have in the church it's me intentionally in investing in and being in fellowship with people who are different than me or maybe are different than you or in a different generation or, you know, there's nothing wrong with having friends. There's nothing wrong with having close friends. I hope your closest friends are people in the church. But we run a risk. It's a Chris's point. We, we, we run a risk if that's all we ever focus on. So we, we love one another. We offer hospitality to one another because we're making disciples as we fellowship together. All right, five-minute break. I'm almost on time. Five-minute break. You're getting a full break this time, and then we're going to come back together, okay? Five minutes. So that means we're coming back at 6.50. You've already lost one minute of it. It's uh, 7.03. Here's what we're going to do. I have uh, I've eliminated the middle question. And I moved. I have two questions at the bottom. We'll just say how much time will we have. But but there really wasn't a great middle question, um, because I really need to get through this next one before we get to what the question will be. So let me. We're just going to jump right back into teaching, and then I've got two questions at the end. I'm, I'm going to try my best to save enough time for you to be able to do both of them instead of doing a middle question. Okay. So we're going to move on to number three, reaching out. This is on the back of your handout. Uh, our ministry to the world. So this is us. This is on that. You know, X, Y, Z, this is, this is going out from here um, that we are reaching out in two ways. We say it, right, like this. We reach out through evangelism and ministry. And if there's any one of them that just logistically people often get confused about around here as a church, it's this one. Um, sometimes people aren't 
quite sure what, which, what is evangelism and what is ministry. And yes, just like worship and prayer and just like discipleship and fellowship, sometimes these things very much go together and sometimes they don't. And we'll talk about uh, the, the, difference between, the difference between the two. So let's start. I think the easier one for us to understand is evangelism. If we have a right understanding of evangelism, which I think our church does, we have a right understanding of the gospel. Um, and so evangelism really is gospel proclamation. It's that part of our mission, you know, make disciples that make disciples. It's that part of our mission that focuses on the of all nations clause of Matthew 28, 19, right? So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It, it's the... It's the getting out of here. It's out of the walls. It's off the property. It's the, you know, uh, the Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's proclaiming, the evangelism is proclaiming the good news of Jesus to people who need to hear it so that they can become disciples. Now, evangelism is part of the disciple, is a part of disciple making. We don't evangelize and then disciple we do evangelize and then disciple in the more narrow sense of discipleship that we use it as far as reaching in because we reach in to the body. But in the broader sense of disciple-making, evangelism is just the first step of, and actually maybe not even the first step of, but it is often. For sometimes there's even steps before that. There's relationship building. There, there may be ministry, which we'll talk about in a moment. But evangelism is, is the clear proclamation of the gospel. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking for clear and simple gospel provided for people so that they can believe it unto salvation. Evangelism is not teaching all that I have commanded you. <laughs> Discipleship is teaching all that I have commanded you, right? When we go out... When we go to the lost in the world, it, it, it's, it's not for us to teach them all of the mysteries of the faith. It's not for us to try to sanctify them before the Lord justifies them. That's, by the way, a problem that the church has run into over and over again, is that we have inadvertently, sometimes intentionally, but most often, if we're to be gracious towards uh, our predecessors, inadvertently, um, expected people to clean their lives up before they believe in Jesus. You know, we tell them, oh, you got to stop doing this, and then you can be right with God. You got to stop doing that, and you can be, be right with God. No, no, no. We say simply, come to Jesus. He died for you so that you can have life. Believe in Jesus unto salvation. Repent of your sins and turn towards Christ. That's what we invite people to do in the gospel. That is what evangelism is. Now, there's aspects of evangelism like apologetics where we're answering questions. There's worldviews that are parts of this where we're helping people to see uh, what Christianity is about. But when I'm doing that, I get this question from young people a lot. I used to get it from teenagers when I was in student ministry a whole lot. Hey, I'm witnessing to somebody at my school and they're asking me questions about you know, homosexuality, they're asking me questions about world religions, they're asking me a question about, it's great. So what do I do? Don't overcomplicate it. Give them a basic Christian answer. Well, the Bible says this. But the most important question 
is what do you believe about Jesus? <laughs> the most important question is, what are you doing for salvation? Do you think you can earn your own way to God? Or do you not? The most important question that people answer is, what do you believe about Jesus? Now, once they believe in Jesus, then we teach them all that Jesus has commanded. Then we start working on that sanctifying process, right? Think about what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Somebody have those first five verses of 1 Corinthians 12 they could read for us? And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in a plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yeah. You know, maybe this would be an encouragement to you. I, I said this um, two Sundays ago on Praise and Go Sunday. The primary two reasons people give, one of the primary two reasons people give for why they don't share the gospel is they're not sure what they'll say if they're asked a question they don't know the answer to. The other's fear, right? Fear of rejection. But one is, is and it's legitimate. You don't, Maybe you think, well, I don't know everything the Bible has to say. What if they ask me some strange question about something? I just don't know what to say. Be encouraged from what Paul says. Paul says, I didn't come with lofty wisdom and all the answers. I came with Christ and Him crucified. So your evangelism really is as simple. It does not need to be any more complicated than the Apostle Paul's. Okay? I sought to preach nothing amongst you but Christ and him crucified. So if, if you have somebody in your life, and I hope you do, somebody in your life that you're seeking to share the gospel with, remember that the gospel is simple. When I share the gospel with people, I do it in five minutes or less. So if your gospel presentation's, you know, nine two-hour sessions, you may want to pare it back a little bit. Because the gospel is simple. It's the fact that God is holy and we are not. And Jesus died in our place so that we could be restored to a holy God. If we will but believe and turn towards him in faith and repentance. That's the gospel. Stop complicating it. Right? It's the first step. So we, we, preach, we proclaim Christ and him crucified. Clear and simple gospel proclamation. Calling people to believe in Jesus as their Savior, the very first step of the mission. Then we make disciples of them after that. But the first step in disciple-making is that they would believe. Now we pair that with reaching out through ministry. Ministry, void of evangelism, is, is ineffective. But ministry as a means to evangelism is a biblical model. Now, we don't always pair ministry and evangelism together. Sometimes we just evangelize. But our goal, if we are seeking to do ministry, which we would define ministry as showing mercy outside of the church, showing God's love to people outside of the church, meeting tangible needs. So this could be as simple as, you know, 
I always thought as a kid, you know, all missions happened in Africa, right? And so that's why I grew up as an adult and go to Africa twice a year because it's where I, I guess it's just where I think missions happen. I know missions, I've been done missions all over the world. I know missions happen all over the world. But I'll just use the Africa example, right? Like the Africa example is digging a well in Africa. That's mercy ministry, right? But if all we do is dig a well, yeah, we gave people water, great, but we didn't give them living water, right? So that's why we would pair mercy ministry with, with evangelism. But we don't have to think as, you know, something like digging a well. It, it may just be meeting some kind of tangible need in, in our community. We even think mercy ministry can be meeting in, in our community and in, in our disconnected world that we live in, meeting relational needs. People need, I, I think, I'm convinced, people need to know their neighbors. <laughs> we live these segmented lives. And it's why we put a lot of emphasis on small groups going out into neighborhoods and doing neighborhood outreaches. One of the, I think we're actually meeting a tangible need because people walk up to those things and they're like, why in the world, why are you doing this? You know, people don't do this kind of thing, you know? Like, I know they don't. And we ought to get back to doing it. We're doing it because we just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Right? It's really simple. So whether we're, you know, providing clothing for people, we're helping orphans and widows, we're doing these things that we do as a church, digging a well, all those things are mercy needs outside of the church. So somebody read Luke 6, 35 and 36 for us. Somebody have that? But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind and ungrateful to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned, pardon, and you will be pardoned. No. Oh, go ahead, keep going, Baker. Oh, you're good. Yep. So so just think of what Jesus is saying here. This is love your enemies, right? Do good to your enemies. So this isn't, again, we're just showing mercy to people that we think deserve mercy. <laughs> this is us showing mercy to people that maybe we don't think deserve. Why? Because a right understanding of the gospel helps us to know that we didn't deserve the mercy of God, and it's not our mercy that we're showing people. What is Jesus saying? We're showing the mercy of God to them. This is why the church goes out and shows mercy to people. It's why we feed people we don't know, or it's why we support uh, foster children that we don't know or don't live in our house. It's, it's, it's why we do the kinds of things that we do. Because we're not showing our mercy, we're showing the mercy of God. And this is why over in Mark, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose this reward. In our praise and go dinner, Marissa, our missionary on the Eastern Shore, talked just eloquently, I thought so well, talked about this words. How we, just something as simple as a cup of water gains us the ability to say, let me tell you why I'm showing you this guy. He may not use that phrase. You may not say, okay, let me show you, let me tell you why I'm showing you mercy. But it's amazing what something as simple as a cup of water will do for the mission of making disciples. 
So the church reaches out through this kind of ministry. So reach up, reach in, reach out. Ministry to God, ministry to the body, ministry to the world. And there's a necessity of balance in these things. So what happens when these things become imbalanced? Or what actually leads to these things becoming imbalanced? Imbalance is often due either to over-prioritization or a, a preference or a bent within a congregation. So sometimes a congregation will become convinced within Scripture that one of these things is more important than the other. And so they'll, they'll pour more resources and more time and more energy into those things. Or they'll just do that out of preference. So not really out of biblical conviction, but just we like. And so you'll hear people say things like, well, we're a Bible teaching church, or we're a missions church, or we're a praying church, or we're an evangelistic church, or you know, we're, we're a church that meets the needs of our community. Well, all those things are great. But shouldn't we be all of those things? <laughs> shouldn't the church be a church that, you know, there, there are churches that are known for, maybe not as much anymore. Although I guess there are still some. It's just different now. I can remember back to me being a kid, and there were churches that were known for their worship ministry. Huge worship. And they would put on these productions and all these things. It's fine. But, but there was a church, a friend of mine went and served at a church in North Carolina. They had built an entire building on their property that housed all of the stuff that they needed for their worship ministry productions. I mean, and it took hundreds of thousands of dollars of the church's budget. Now, worship ain't really all that hard, right? It's, it's people singing together. <laughs> it's like, maybe we've over-prioritized a little. Because this is what we... What, we run this risk of either being becoming falsely convinced in Scripture or just by having the preference of the church. But a long-term imbalance of any of these things leads to deficiencies within the church. Even within our church that says, well, we're, we're a discipleship church. We're, you know, a next level. We, we teach the Bible. You know, our pastor preaches the Bible. We, you know, our, our small groups study the Bible. We love the Bible. That's great. We should. But if we only do that and we neglect our ministry to God, if we only do that and neglect our ministry to the world, other churches will be so focused on the world. My parents, who never had to visit a church like ever in their life because they both grew up in preacher's homes, and when they were in high school, both their parents became pastors. One was the pastor of the lead pastor. One was the minister of education at the church that I grew up in. Both of my grandfathers, I've told that story before. And my parents didn't pick that church. Their parents were both in high school and they just stayed there until they retired. They stayed there. They had been a members of Florida Boulevard Baptist Church from the time they moved there as, as high schoolers until the time my dad retired. And they, Florida Boulevard Baptist Church no longer exists. Um, that's a whole nother story. Um, but then they moved to North Carolina when they retired a few years ago. And mom and dad had started looking for a church. And they called me. And they're like, we've never done this before. <laughs> Mature Christian. They just never had to do it. And so they were going to some churches in this town. There's a small town. There's not a lot of options. But there was a church that was pretty exciting. And they went three or four times. And they kind of liked it. They liked the fact that they were getting out and doing things. You know, there was always ministry going on. It was really good. And they went uh, to a service, and they called me after a service. It was a little odd. 
They called me and said, we heard something in church today. We were just going to run it by you. What was it? They said the pastor, he was a new pastor. He had he'd not been there very long. He said he, he told us, he, he said church members, Christians, I'm talking to the church, you know, Christians. Um, I would rather a lost person have your seat. You're not my primary concern. I would rather a lost person sit, sit in your seat than you be sitting in your seat. And they said, that's kind of struck us as odd. Is that odd? And I went, yeah, that's real odd. It's a church that has a, an incredible imbalance. Because, by the way, the, word, the gathered church on Sunday mornings is not for lost people. Lost people are invited to come and to watch us. But that is for us. It's the gathered body of saints. It's the, it's the body of Christ, right? So, so if you're telling your church that you don't, once they're saved, you don't care if they're sitting out there or not, that all you want is lost, but like you're running an evangelism ministry. You're not actually running a church. And church is the, the gathered body of Christ. These things can get out of balance. And so we, we have to constantly looking at, are we creating a deficiency within our church? Now, as individuals, though, I just want to... The gathered body of Christ is also made up of individual members, right? 1 Corinthians 12, individual members. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we talked about spiritual gifts. You don't necessarily need to think about your actions within the church as being, you know, 33.3% on each one of these things. Why? Because God has specifically, uniquely gifted you to serve in one or maybe more of these areas. Now, you should be engaged in all of them. You should, as we're talking through these six things. It's why we've developed core, six core competencies at our church. It's another thing that we put up around. It's in all of our small group rooms. Because you ought to be able to look at the purposes of the church and say, I'm a part of the church, so I should be growing in the way that I worship, the way that I pray, the way that I make disciples, the way that I feel like I should be growing in these things. I should be actively engaging in these things. That's why we made them a part of our church covenant to where we're together saying, I'm going to do all six of these things. But your giftedness may be in the area of worship. Your giftedness may be in the area of evangelism. And so you may be committed to a part of the body that does more of that than others, but you still need to look in your own life and make sure there is at least some level of balance. Not the same level of balance that the church has to have because, of, because you have a unique gift. You're an eye or you're an ear or you're a hand or you're a foot. Like you're doing those, those things, but you, still, you don't need to say, well, because I'm a foot, I'm not a part, right? You still are called to be an evangelist. You're still called to do mercy. You're still called to fellowship. You're still called to disciple. You're still called to worship. We all sing, right? We all, make, we all do these things. So we, but we strike a balance, but I wanted to just for quickly deal with the individual balance so I hope you are checking those, those core competencies regularly. That's why we developed them. Check them regularly and say, am I doing these things? This is why we put them in our church covenant. Because we want everybody engaging in all of these things, recognizing that some are specifically gifted to do some of these things maybe more than others. And so that may make you a leader in one of those areas. Maybe you're a teacher as in a discipling situation. Maybe you're a leader of one of one of our ministry teams that does mercy or evangelism, right? All right. Two questions for you. I left you six minutes. I mean, look at that. To which purpose of the church do you think you can most effectively contribute? So I want you to think personally. Pick, pick up where we left, where I'm just now leaving off. To which purpose of the church do you think you can most effectively contribute? How are you? So this goes back a few weeks to the giftedness talk that we had. 
How are you doing these things? And then which direction does our congregation run the greatest risk, so think corporately, of becoming, not, sorry, there's a misprint there. I used the wrong tense. Of becoming unbalanced in our purpose. So if you were to evaluate our church, which our elders do, but if you were to evaluate our church according to these things, what do you think we would have to guard ourselves against the most of becoming imbalanced? I think both of those are great questions. So uh, try to talk about both of them, maybe take two minutes on each one, and then I will bring us back together and close us in prayer uh, in about five minutes. All right? Go at it. All right, folks, I know time goes by fast. Sorry, 7.30. Um, I need to, I need to give you just a heads up about next week. Next week is, uh, is going to be one of those weeks where I'm not going to be here, but I'm still teaching. We're going to do it like we did what week three or I think it was week three. I'm actually teaching this tomorrow and, uh, you'll, you'll watch. Brandon's not going to be here. Um, uh, but I think, you know, Barry, you here, you can help us. And maybe somebody wants to help Barry pressing pause and play, keeping us on time. It worked out last time, uh, but, but Brian will have it all set up and, and ready to go for you guys. I'm sorry that I missed, I'm really sorry I'm missing the last week of it, but I'm, we're going to leave Sunday after I preach, after service. Brian and I are going to be heading to Rwanda, spending a lot, a lot of time with great joy. Gonna hopefully send back maybe even a video every day introducing you to some of the great, great joy people. Um, I'm going to have... For the first time since we've been working with Great Joy, I'm going to have uninterrupted, basically an entire week uninterrupted with those guys. And um, we, we're going to cover a lot of ground and really hone in on some stuff. Hopefully, by the time that next spring gets here, they're going to be a, a fully functioning, autonomous church with no more direction. We'll still help them and do some things, but no more direction needed. Um, but we, we've got to cover some things and, and they need some time. So I'm going to go and give them some time. Brandon's going to get to hang out with them. He's, and, uh, maybe even go into some of their homes. We're kind of working out some things. Brandon may, you know, uh, go, go get to see some, some things and, and hang out with us. So pray, pray for us as we go. Um, so that's next week. I, uh, it'll, it'll be on video. And the week after that, you're going to, we're, we will be off for one week. The, uh, Pastor Jay is going to do an evangelism training on that Wednesday night, but there will be no equip that Wednesday night. We, we've got a break planned in. We've done that intentionally. Who will be doing it? Pastor Jay is going to be doing an evangelism training that night. I think it's open to everybody. Um, I will make sure, and somebody will announce that in here next week. And then the, the following week is when you will be in the next class. Whatever, that, whatever the rotation is. But we'll have all that signage out. You'll get an email from the new teacher and all that. It's been my privilege. You guys have been great. You really set the bar high for engagement. And so thank you for that. And um, I'm going to miss you next week. So let me pray for us, and then we will, uh, we will conclude. God, thank you uh, for how we together equip the saints for the work of ministry, that we build up the body of Christ one by one, man by man, woman by woman, for the, for the sake of uh, your mission of making disciples. God, help us from, from overemphasizing one thing or underemphasizing something else. Uh, let us see, God, that you and your word have outlined for us how we reach up, how we reach in, how we reach out together as we make disciples that make disciples, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Thanks again. Next week on video. Love you guys.